Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. 2 Kings chapter 6. Turn with you and your Bibles there. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go then, one said, uh, Go then. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. This morning, if you'll indulge me for a second, I want you to imagine or think back to a time in your life, any time in your life really, where you lost something that was very important to you, but maybe not important to others around you. Uh, Something that was critical for you, but was not necessarily uh, critical to anyone else. If you have children, you'll know that uh, they'll lose things from time to time. And uh, they'll come and ask you to find it. You know, uh, they don't ask dad because dad doesn't really look very hard. I just kind of go, yep, don't see it either. Uh, but they'll usually go to their mama who will go and dig through the couch cushions and everything. But, uh, you know, they've lost something that is only important to them. And like as a dad, usually my dad was like this. And I admit that I was like this with my boys. It's not important to me. So, okay, you get a little bit of effort. But... Other than that, uh, you know, go ask your mama, you know. Uh, So when you lose something that's important to you, but not maybe important to others, how do we handle it? You know, I was uh, uh, about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. And uh, that summer, um, my uh, aunt uh, was taking myself and my brother to uh, Kings Dominion to go see the Beach Boys. And uh, we were so excited, been playing for a while. We were going to go see him, and uh, my aunt had the tickets. But in order to get in, we had to use our season passes to get in. Well, I had a lovely, beautiful, bright, uh, supersonic pink uh, Beach Boys wallet that I had my season pass in that I was constantly losing, and Mom would have to find for me. Well, this one particular day, Mom was gone to work and I could we were getting ready to leave and I could not find my wallet with my season passing my aunt said well if you don't got that I guess it's just me and Charlie going to go to uh, go see the concert and so I was scouring desperate to find it I remember uh, praying God I make this promise and that promise just let me find my wallet I want to go to King's Dominion and see this I don't want to be left at home by myself and I remember just scouring the house, flipping up beds and trying to look through all the furniture and under beds and under clothes laying in the floor and searching everywhere trying to find this thing that really was only important to me. Anyone else would have said, I'll get over it, right? 
Uh, you can just go and get your picture taken again and get another one. Right? It wasn't a big deal, but to me it was very, very important. And when I found it, I remember having so much relief and joy and excitement. Unless you've lost something like that, you don't know what it means to feel the joy and the relief of when you find it again. But when you find it again, you're excited. You know, there's this sense of relief and joy and peace and, you know, comfort that you've, you found this thing that was so important to you. And this story that I just read to you, uh, Elisha, is, as we've seen now a couple of times uh, in the book of Second Kings, through those first five chapters, uh, he has got a group of men um, who are essentially being trained by him. Uh, some uh, Bible um, scholars refer to them as the school of the prophets, but they're referred to prophets, sons of the prophets. And they were going to Elisha, and Elisha was training them. Uh, he was teaching them. Uh, these were not wealthy men. Uh, they were not, you know, they were just blue-collar guys who were giving up uh, their time and, and, and uh, giving up portions of their uh, uh, life to be able to be trained by the prophet of God, Elisha. And we find here in this story that um, they have run out of space where they're at. There's not enough room for them. Uh, and so uh, for, for them to say to be taught, so they say to Elisha, can we go and down to the Jordan? We'll cut some trees down, and we'll build ourselves a, a, a little slightly larger place to congregate and be taught. And so Elisha says, absolutely, go for it. And they ask him to come, and he agrees to go. And as they're down there by uh, the river, there's uh, one of the young men, he's uh, cutting a, a tree uh, down, and his axe head flies off. Well, apparently this was a rather common occurrence. Because if you actually look back in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that God put a law in place for just such an occasion. Where uh, if you were out in the woods using an axe and you were cutting and your axe head flew off and hit your neighbor and killed them, there were rules to follow. So apparently losing your axe head was a fairly, you know, normal thing that happened. They, they would uh, fly off randomly, I guess, but uh, it happened a lot. So this guy's caught, uh, cutting this tree and his axe head flies off and it flies right into the Jordan River. Now to you and I, this story doesn't seem that important. In fact, when I read it, I said, what in the world am I going to talk about? Maybe I'll just skip on to the next one, which is a little bit more exciting, uh, where, uh, you know, God uh, blinds the, the enemy and stuff, which we'll talk about hopefully next week. But uh, I was like, well, let me, let me look at this. And I felt uh, compelled to... Look and think about it a little further, and, and what I found is is that iron was very valuable back then. Uh, iron was hard to come by; uh, it was uh, not plentiful. Um, in fact, uh, there were times when uh, John, the, the, the army of Israel was going out under the command of Saul and Jonathan, and there were only two swords in the whole nation: Saul's sword and Jonathan's sword. Uh, so there were, it was very precious uh, material, uh, and it was not uh, found everywhere. Uh, and so uh, iron was very expensive. Uh, the fact is, is that this, uh, this poor young man could not afford his own axe. He could not afford how much it would have cost to get himself his own axe, and so he had borrowed it from somebody. Uh, and so uh, when it fell into the water, he felt horrible. 
Uh, he had lost this uh, very precious, very rare tool that was critical, to, I'm sure, to the owner um, who had let him borrow it and, and trust that nothing would happen to it, that it would be brought back safely uh, to him. And it's now fallen into the water. And uh, we've talked about the Jordan River a couple times, but let me tell you, the Jordan River was nasty. Uh, not only uh, was it uh, polluted, but also it was a muddy river as the waters ran through it. Uh, in fact, you can see pictures today if you go look. Uh, you, there's no looking into the water. It is a muddy water that, that, that carries. It's dark brown. Uh, even the Rappahannock, if you go out and it's been uh, beautiful and not stormy, you can go out and see right down to the bottom of the water. Uh, my son and I were out camping uh, not too long ago. We were uh, down at the Rappahannock fishing, and you could see out pretty far away, down right down to the bottom. You see all the logs, all the rock formations. You can see right down. But with the Jordan, that wasn't the case. So when the axe head fell in, there was no waiting for the sediment to settle so that you could see the axe head go in and get it. It was so muddy, there was no finding it. The water was rushing, and uh, the, it was such a mess that there was no way he was going to find this axe head. So it wasn't the case of just jumping in and finding it. Uh, it was lost as far as they were concerned. And this young man sees that it's lost. He doesn't know what to do because it's borrowed. It's important to him. And he says to a man of God, uh, look, I've lost my axe. And it was borrowed. Now, Elisha had very important things to be thinking about. Right? He was the prophet who was teaching all of these folks. God was using them highly, speaking through him. So what did an axe head mean to him, to the people that were around him. It wasn't their axe head that was lost. It wasn't their axe that was broken, right? How many times do you and I selfishly go through life and we see other people are hurting, lost stuff, but it's not important to us, and so we just move on, right? How many times do we as, we as Christians do that? We see people hurting and we think, ah, just get over it, man up, right? When I was a kid and my kids would get hurt, get a boo-boo, I'd say, put some dirt on it. Right? Put some dirt on it, get back up and do your thing. When they were playing football and they were complaining, I would say, get back up, get out there and stop whining. Right? Because their little toe ache wasn't important to me. Right? And, and so I would ignore it uh, and, and put it down and tell them to get up and do their thing again. Right? It wasn't important to me, so therefore I decided it shouldn't be important to them. Right? And in our lives, we do that to people around us. We do it to our family members, right? We do it to co-workers. We give them no grace. But we want grace in return. Wow. Right? We don't extend to them grace to say, I don't know why that bothers you so much, but it does. So I'm going to show you compassion and love and pray with you and encourage you and strengthen you and help you find what was lost. Instead of simply judging and saying, get up, why is that hurting you so bad? But the problem, bottom line is, we don't know why something is important to somebody else. We don't know why something that you and I would say doesn't have much value is important to somebody else. We don't know what it costs them to have that. We don't know what it costs them to, to, for what they've lost, why it's important to them. We don't know why that pain hurts them so much more than it would hurt us. We don't know why that loss hurts them so much more than it would affect us. We don't know why that relationship being broken hurts them more than that relationship being broken would hurt us. We don't know why. But for whatever reason, because of their life, their circumstances,
circumstances, they're hurting. We're not meant to walk by and say, go find another axe head. Or just go say you're sorry. He'll forgive you. We need to show compassion. And Elisha could have very easily said, it's okay, I'll go talk to the guy. Right? We'll work this out. I'm the, I'm the prophet of God. Don't worry about this. This ain't important. Get back to work. He had better things, more important things to do. Yet he says to the man, show me where it went in the water. So the guy takes him to about the place where it went in the water. And Elisha takes a stick and he throws it into the water. And the axe head floats to the top. And he says to the man, go get it. The man reaches into the water. He takes the axe head. And he's able to continue to work with it and return it to the owner. What was important to this man became important to the prophet of God. What is important to you and I is important to God. It may seem unimportant to everybody else around us, but in God's eyes, it's important because it's important to you. It's important to me. Right? And so therefore, it's important to God. Why? Because He loves us. He cares for us. We're His children. He loves us with a love that we cannot comprehend. So He's concerned when something concerns us. He cares when something is bothering us. Even though to the outside person it may not seem important. It's important to God because it's important to us. See, he knows the story of why it's important to me and you. He knows the story. He knows the scars. He knows the tears that have been cried. He sees the pain. He knows the hurt. He sees it all. And because of his love for his children... He has mercy and acts on our behalf. Even though the rest of the world may say, why in the world is that important to God? It's important because it's important to us. I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, I was a teenager, 15, 16 years old. I was in a discipleship class with my older brother, who was nine years older than me. And uh, I was only in high school, and he was a grown man with a job, you know. And... uh, uh, he, uh, when, whenever myself or my little brother, who was a year younger than me, whenever we would talk about things in our lives that were frustrating to us or that we were upset about or asked for prayer specifically for prayer requests, my brother would always insult us in the middle in front of everybody, and he would say, oh, that's not important. When you're older, that won't matter to you. Right? When you get a job, that won't matter to you. Just ignore it. Right? Ignore uh, the bullying. Ignore the things that are happening. Ignore the fact that, you know, you've got an exam. When you get older, those things won't matter anymore. And he would, he would do that on a regular basis. Uh, and it, it hurt bad. You can tell that I still obviously carry some sort of a resentment towards him for all these years later because it still frustrates me when I think about it, right? That here we are in a class of six or seven people. Uh, and he would uh, constantly, every single time, he would let us know that what he was going through was much more important and tough than what we, his little brothers, were going through, right? Uh, But to us, it was important. To us, it was critical. To us, it mattered, even though it did not matter to him. And we've got to recognize that in levels of maturity and levels in our walk with God, uh, it causes things uh, to, to, uh, for a mature Christian, uh, may not bother them the way it bothers an immature Christian. Amen. Or someone who has not walked in the faith as long. Or someone who hasn't gone through what you've gone through. Right? Maybe I've gone through something and I've seen God deliver. 
And so when, when a situation happens, I'm able to hold stronger than a young person who's never seen that or never gone through that. And so we need to show them compassion and mercy. Help them grow. Help them mature. Show them the love of God. Show them that God cares about the little thing. So that when the time comes, I can trust Him for the big thing. Show that He answers the little prayers. So that when I need a big prayer answered, I can trust He's going to answer the big prayer. That He demonstrates His love in the small things so that in the big things I can have faith and trust and hold on to Him, as Pastor Matt said. Right. Amen. Uh, I worked in a mail house for a lot of years, uh, moving large wood pallets and uh, bags and stuff, and my hands would get callous. But when I first started working in that place, I got splinters like crazy. You guys have heard this before. Splinters, blisters really bad from uh, holding on to mail bags and uh, moving pallets and stacking stuff. When I first started, my little baby soft hands, they were getting tore up all the time, and it hurt a lot. Um, and so over time, when I was working, it would hurt bad to just lift the bags and move the stuff. Your hands were hurting, splinters and blisters. But as time progressed, uh, my hands got callous and tough so that I didn't even feel it anymore. I got a splinter, I just reached down and pulled it out. My hands got so callous and rough that blisters didn't even form anymore, right? I, I, they, they were really tough. In fact, my wife will tell you that I... I did not have baby soft hands. They were rough. I would scratch her when I would pat her on the back or hold her hand. They were, they were rough hands. And, uh, but it took getting through and holding a little bit, right? Being able to work through that little bit of pain, being able to work through that little bit of suffering. So I got to a point as I matured and grew that I could hold on and do it even though things would have hurt other people. And as we hold on to God, it may hurt for the little things. Not a whole lot of pressure, not a whole lot of pull, not a whole lot of bad things in the eyes of someone whose hands are callous. Why? Why is that hurting them? Why is that bothering them? Because they've been through it before. But someone who's new and fresh and they got their baby soft, new Christian hands, they're trying to hold on to God for something small to them. It's like they're trying to hold an anchor. It's like they're trying to hold something that, that's just continuing going through their hands and they get blisters and they are getting sore and it hurts. It gets harder and harder to hold on. Right? It's all they can do to hold on during that small trial. And what you and I decide is a small trial. But as they hold on in the little thing, as it begins to progress, and the problems get bigger, the situations get tougher, as circumstances grow, as they so often do in our lives, as we draw closer to God, ultimately, when things are big, our hands are callous, right? But we've done there. We've been that before. We know when that happens, I'm going to be able to grab hold of that rope and hold on until I make it through the storm. Right? I know I'm going to be able to hold on. You ever watch that show, Deadliest Catch? Yeah. You ever watch that where they're out crabbing in the, the sea? And I mean, the waves are huge. And even they've got these big boats, the water's coming over. And you've got the greenhorn. The greenhorn is someone who's never been out there before. Brand new to it. And when you watch the greenhorns get out there with the professionals, the guys that have been doing this for 20 years, uh, the greenhorns get out there, they get sick to their stomach. Yeah. They get seasick. They don't realize how bad it is. Uh, they uh, get their hands, their, their bodies can't stand the, the pressure of dealing with the waves, but also having to deal with all the heavy cages and all the gear that they have to pull up and down. And it's actually can be funny to watch these greenhorns struggle, right? Because you got the seasons guy who are teaching them how to do it, but they got to have super patience. So they tease them and everything, but they have patience with them to get them on their feet so that they can do the job. 
Guys, we have greenhorns in the body of Christ. Yeah. People who are not ready for the Baltic Sea to go out crabbing, right? And the big waves and the big ocean to toss the boat to and fro. They get seasick. They can't handle the gear. They can't handle the trials. They can't handle what the water's bringing. And so we have a choice to make. We either come alongside them and help them to grow stronger so they become part of the crew and our job isn't harder, or we laugh at them, we mock them, we put them aside, and they never grow. Right? They, we, so it's critical to their growth that we love them through the trial and see what's important to them. Because there's going to be a time in your life when something's important to you and not important to somebody else. Amen. Remember that someone is always more mature than you. If you think right. you've arrived, you ain't, you're wrong. You're just showing your immaturity. As a pastor, there's people way more mature than I am. Right. And they're walk with Christ. Right? The title doesn't make you mature. Your talent doesn't make you mature. Amen. Your giftedness does not make you or I Mature. Just look at the world today. You see a lot of people with titles, and their actions prove that their titles do not make them mature right. in the way that they handle themselves. Right? right? Yeah. The pastors, you see it in the corporate world. People with titles, they're, but there are more people that are, are more mature and capable of doing stuff more than they are. Right? So when you and I think that we're super mature and we've arrived, remember that there's going to come a time in your life and my life where we're going to lose something important to us that's not important to other people. And the way that we treated others is the way that we can expect to be treated. But we won't want to be treated that way. Right. We'll want them to care the way that we care. Yeah. We'll want them to hurt with us the way that we hurt. And we have a choice to make. So when we see other people hurting, show them love and compassion and mercy. Amen. Help them get through it, no matter how trivial it is <coughs> you and I. We can't reach the place where we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Right. Amen. You've heard we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. But there are a lot of Christians that are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. What I mean by that is that they're so feeling that they've arrived and that they're sitting at the foot of the cross and that they're so special and so talented and blah, 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 that they forget the little people around them. And I'm saying that sarcastically, of course. We don't serve. Right. Because we've arrived. Let the greenhorn do that. Let the greenhorn vacuum the church. Let the greenhorn clean the bathroom. Let the green horn help clean up after the event. Right? Because we've arrived. And we forget that if it's important to the least of these, it's important to God. That's right. Amen. If it's important to the small, it's important to God. And so we need to be like Elisha. Instead of saying, go find another axe, or instead of saying, ah, we'll get it worked out, say, show me where it's at. Take me back to where you lost it, and let's see what we can do about it. Be patient. Take them by the hand. Many of us here today feel like we've lost stuff, losing stuff. Maybe we feel like we're fighting to not lose it. Maybe we feel like, well, it's hopeless. I'm just going through the motions. It's gone. I want you to know that God cares about what you're losing or what you lost. 
cares? Even if it seems like nobody else cares. It seems like your spouse doesn't care. It seems like your friends don't care. God cares. He desires. He doesn't like to see you hurt or in pain or suffering. You know, the, the greatest story of something that was lost comes in the form of when man was lost from him. Now that you sin, you're like that axe head. Humanity is plunged to the bottom of the Jordan River. Lost. Can't be found. No way of getting up to the surface on the run. Completely lost. Who was that axe head important to? The guy who owned it and the guy who farmed it. Those are the only two people on the face of the earth that axe head was important to. The guy who owned it and the guy who pardoned. Yet God had mercy. You may seem like you have no value. No one around you loves you, cares about you. Maybe you just don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to put the effort in anymore. You don't want to try anymore. But let me tell you that the one who made you, you're valuable to him. Amen. You mean, I mean something to him. He's the owner. Right. Which is why in the midst of that Jordan River, when God looks down and he sees you and I lost, he saw mankind lost in the muck and the mire of sin, unable to rescue itself. He sent his son to die. He went back to the source of the problem. He sent his son to earth in the midst of the mess to find his lost. Man cannot save themselves. Man cannot get to the top by themselves. So God returned to the source. He sent his son to die for you and I. So if we feel like we have no value in of ourselves, we feel like no one cares or no one loves us, or that I just want to give up, I don't want to face tomorrow. Remember that your maker cares. You are loved. Loved so much that he died for you, and he died for me. He came down into the midst of the Jordan, to the muck, the mire, the dirty water. Remember that water was so dirty that Naaman didn't want to bathe and it was so nasty. When God looks upon this earth and its sin, it's gross. It's nasty. Because what once was beautiful is now a mess. But he came down in the mess, in the chaos. He got dirty for you and I. So that you and I can be saved. That means he loves us. I don't know why I went that direction all of a sudden, but someone needs to know today that God loves you. No matter what the world says, no matter what the people around you say, no matter how you feel, maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you feel like there's nothing that you can do that's any good. God says, I have a plan and a purpose for you. Not a waste of space. You're not a waste of hot air. You're important. You're valuable. He loves you. Amen. And if God fought for you, that means you're worth fighting for. Yes, amen. Amen. If God died for you, that means you're worth dying yes. for. Yes, amen. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
lost it, only had one thing he had to do, reach out and take it. He didn't have to go swimming for it, he didn't have to dive in after it, it floated right up, and all he had to do was reach out and take it from the top of the water. Some of us, that's how close our salvation is. How close are we being? Our freedom is. How close we are flying to what is lost is we just have to reach out and take it. Not be afraid. Not have ourselves blinded and not able to see the gift that God has for us of salvation, the gift of restoring that which has been lost because we blinded ourselves with bitterness and hurt and anger and fear. We blinded ourselves so that we can't see when it's laying right on the surface. You ever seen something that was too good to be true? You ever had one of those thoughts and someone told you something? Car salesmen like to do that a lot when they try to sell you something and you think that's just too good to be true? And you get the plus little saying it's too good to be true, which is not true. Right? Because we've been conditioned to believe that good things don't just happen. That free gifts don't just arrive in a negative society. And so the, the man could have said, well, that's just too good to be true. Maybe my eyes are fooling me. But he didn't. He trusted the prophet, the man of God, and he reached out and took it. Don't ignore what God has placed in front of you. Don't ignore the gift that he's given us so freely. That all we have to do is take it. Don't be blinded by cynicism. Don't let ourselves be blinded by fear. Don't let us be blinded by selfishness and self-centeredness. To give up or lose what's so important because we're blinded by our own self-pity. It's right there and God says, just come get it. I've raised it to the top. Go right. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.